Hi, this is Robert Furrow, and welcome to TruthQuest Podcast. This is our Q&A, where we look at questions through the lens of Scripture. Our desire is to know what God's Word says so we can know what to believe. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, excuse me, 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God is profitable for reproof, for correction, for doctrine, that the man of God could be thoroughly equipped, lacking in nothing. That means everything that we need for life and godliness comes out of the Word of God. Our first question today is one about getting closer to God. And it is a great question. Uh, Our heart should be that we would constantly be drawing closer to Him. Uh, I have here set up already five points that I wanted to cover. This is not going to be a five-point sermon, by the way, but I have five five points that I want to cover on how it is that you and I can draw closer to Him, make sure that we have that right relationship uh, with our our Lord. Uh, First of all, there was the Nazarite vow in the Old Testament. Now, this is if you felt like you were in a desert experience, you were just at a distance from God and you wanted to get closer, you could take a Nazarite vow. You would, as far as I understand it, shave your head and then make the commitment you had to stay away from anything dead. You couldn't touch anything dead because that would make you unclean. Uh, You couldn't go anywhere near even grapes or wine. I take it because people get drunk with those things and you were just to get as far away from that as you possibly could. And during that time, you were to seek God. Then your hair would grow for however time you took the Nazarite vow for. Then you would take your hair into the temple, give it as a sacrifice to God. That time that you have given as a sacrifice. Now, if all of that is true, then the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, that we are to be living sacrifices. We are to live our lives devoted and dedicated to Him. Now, the Bible also says in James 4, 8, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. This means that God's looking for us to make that effort. If you feel dry, distance, if you feel like you're not that close to Him, if you're struggling, like the question says, with intimacy with Christ, then make an effort to draw closer to Him and you have His promise that He's going to draw closer to you. Now, the rest of that verse says, cleanse your hands, your sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded, and humble yourself in the presence of the Lord. So I have as the third thing we should do here if we feel at a distance from God or we're struggling with intimacy, is that we would confess our sins. John 1, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Now, confession is not just saying, God, I did this, but it's, it's going before him and confessing to him like you would confess a sin to someone close to you, something that you did wrong with them. You wouldn't just march in and say it and figure just mechanically because I said, I confessed, told them what sin I did. You would tell them with emotion and you would let them know how sorry you were. That's the idea of confessing your sin. You've broken this against God and so you go and you draw close to Him and you confess your sin to Him and He's faithful. It's faithful. He's going to do it. He will forgive your sin. He's not going to go, well, let me think about it. If you confess, He will be faithful 
and just because of the atonement work of Christ upon the cross, which was even taught in the Old Testament that God was going to lay on him the iniquity of us all. It's one of the reasons that it's one of the first things I do when I pray as I ask God to forgive my sins and, um, and then go on in my talk with him. Now, the next thing to do is to humble yourself. So if you confess your sins, because it says there in James 4, and then humble yourself before the Lord, you know that if you humble yourself, God's going to exalt you. And if you are prideful in any way, then evaluate that. Search your heart, try it. See if there's any wickedness in me, the psalmist prayed to God, and reveal those things to me. Humble yourself before God. Let God know, I'm feeling far from you. I wanna feel closer. I'm unable to, I don't know what to do. Help me. And as you humble yourself, then God is going to draw closer to you. I would also say don't neglect fellowship. Uh, there's something special about the friendships of true Christians, of people that God puts in our lives that have that koinonia fellowship with us. There's something special about that. And when we draw near to one another, and I'm not just talking about going to church and sitting in church and hearing a sermon. I'm not saying that's bad, certainly, but I'm saying that koinonia fellowship has to be so much more than that. Don't neglect fellowship. Talk with people who are hungry to know God, love him, follow after him. And then finally, cultivate an interest in God's word. Notice I didn't just say, read God's word, but cultivate an interest in it. Find out what you are interested in. What questions do you have? Search your heart again and go and study the things you're interested in. Go read the books you're interested in. I had for years an interest in the book of Colossians and I'm not quite, quite exactly sure why I did, but I had that interest and so I, would, I studied the book of Colossians. There are some great things that are in that book. It says, let no one judge you concerning new moons and festivals and Sabbaths. Those are all Jewish things, which are a shadow of things to come. It says that Jesus is the express image of the living God. All things were made by him and for him. It's an amazing passage there. In fact, it's an early creed from the church uh, there in the first book of Colossians. There's several early creeds. Look for the things that interest you. And, and read the books that interest you. Write questions down and then study them out. Why does Ephesians say this? And then go do some research. You can do it through the web. You can do it through YouTube. There's so many opportunities to be able to cultivate a hunger for God's word. And I believe that as you make a real effort to do this, that your intimacy with Christ will grow. You'll find yourself loving him. I know the Bible says that God renews the inner man day by day and the outer man is perishing. And I found that God is renewing my inner man day by day. I found that I am drawing closer to Christ now after 40 something years of service to him, over 45 years of living for him. I found that I'm drawing closer to him now than ever before. And I think that's what God continues to do in our lives. And if you are at a distance, if there's some obvious things that you have in your life, just confess your sins here. If there's some obvious things you have in your life and you're having trouble getting them out of there, ask him to help you. It's been my experience that when I ask God to help me get rid of something sinful, God helps me get rid of something sinful. All right, so draw near to God and he 
will draw near to you. I want to welcome all of you who are joining us today. Really good to have you here. I hope you guys are blessed. If you have a question, then write the word question out and then uh, put your question in. Read it a couple of times and make sure that it makes sense. We'll bring it up on the screen here and we will answer your questions. So I'm going to go back to the first question here. Actually, I'll go back to the default here. All right. And uh, then we'll bring in our first question, which is from uh, JG. And so JG says, uh, wouldn't the pronunciation of Jesus's real name be Yeshua, like the Old Testament book of Joshua instead of Jesus, since that is the Greek for Zeus? Um, all right. This is the first time I've ever heard that Jesus is the Greek for Zeus. And I am not sure that's correct, JG. In fact, Again, I'm saying I have never heard it. I don't know, but I would be really surprised if Jesus is the Greek name for Zeus. I think it's Isos. It's how you say it in the Greek. And Isos is the Greek name for the Hebrew name Jesus. And then Jesus is the anglicized name of the Greek name for Jesus. I don't know where you heard that from. It's certainly something I'll look up right after the study. Um, if um, Let's see who we've got here. So I want to welcome Keith, who's one of our mods. Keith, if you could take a couple of seconds and just look up whether or not this is true, just go ahead and, and uh, search it on the web and see if you can find a, a quick answer as to whether or not Zeus is the... Um, the Greek name for Jesus. I don't believe it is. Uh, I, I got to think if it was, I would have I would have heard this. That doesn't mean I know everything and I could be wrong. Um, but in Philippians chapter 2, where we're told that Jesus' name is above every name, uh, it says Jesus humbled himself, that he was equal with God, or didn't think it robbery to be equal with God, and that Jesus humbled himself and became a man, that's, and he became lower than the angels, he became a man. Then he became a servant. He could have become a king and been served, but he became a servant when he became a man. And then even to the obedience of the death on the cross, he died the worst kind of death that there possibly could ever be. And then because of that, we are told that God gives his name that is above every name. And um, all right, I wanted to see if I could take a look at this. Uh, yeah. So, let me just go ahead and get this down here. All right, let me go ahead and bring this up on the screen here, and I want to show you this. Uh, I think it is going to help some. So, it says, let's see, uh, verse 9, Therefore God highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth. That's Greek. That's Esau's. That's Jesus and of those on earth, those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, when the New Testament uses the word Lord, that's a really high Christology. And it's a, it's a confession that he's God. The name of God in the Old Testament, the Tetragrammaton, Y-H-W-H, was replaced with Lord. Or they would write out the vowels or put the word Adonai uh, in, 
for Lord and making a, a confession of Jesus being Lord is a strong confession that he is God. So people will ask, well then is every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So what's the name here? Is Lord the name being the New Testament equivalent to the Tetragrammaton or is Jesus the name? And I don't know if you can make that leap that the word Lord there is YHWH. It would be, it'd be a pretty big leap, although it, I think it does, it, it is a confession quite literally that he is God. Uh, and, but the name Jesus is used here again. So I'm, I want to look it up. Um, I wish I had some time to be able to do it even as we speak, but I'll check it out. I don't think that's right, JG. I don't think the name Jesus is the Greek name for Zeus. I could be wrong. And if it is, I'll definitely come back and let you know. All right. So thank you very much for your question and good to see you, JG. I always appreciate uh, your questions. Our second question comes from Albert. Uh, Albert says, Skip Heitzig shared that according to Islamic eschatology, the Mahdi, um, Mahdi persecuted all Christians and Jews and it's possible that the Antichrist may be Muslim and not European. What are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I've heard that, studied it a little bit. Uh, I know that Joel Rosenberg teaches uh, that as well. At least he's got some thoughts for that. And I have a ton of respect uh, for Joel Rosenberg. Uh, and I guess it could be possible. I think we would have to change some of our understanding about whom the Antichrist is. The Antichrist makes a treaty with many, Daniel chapter 9. Uh, he is, it looks like he's received as the Messiah by the Jews. He would not be if he was Muslim. Uh, he's connected somehow to Rome. And that's again Daniel chapter 9. The, then the prince of the people who destroyed the city make a covenant with many, it says. I don't know how someone from Islam, although I guess you, you have Islam living in Rome, I don't know about all of those connections. So I don't know whether uh, Skip was saying that the Mahdi will be the Antichrist or that the Mahdi will even be there. I don't know exactly what his study said. Um, did he say, Albert, that he thought it was possible, or did he say that he thought that would be the case? I get an opportunity to hang out with um, Pastor Skip Heitzig from Calvary Albuquerque at our Prophecy Conference this coming up next week. It'll be a week from Monday, um, and it's called Prophecy. We've got a great lineup of speakers. If you go to, um, in fact, I'll show you about those speakers before our time is done here, who we've got that will be speaking there. I think um, you're, you'll really be blessed by this conference. But I'll have a chance to talk to Skip about this and think if he thinks that the Mahdi will be or if he's pretty convinced that he is. So sorry that I can't give you a complete answer on this, Alex, right now. I've heard it before. I understand what's being said. Um, I have a little bit of hesitancy on, on it. I'd love to see if Skip's gotten any more scriptural information on it, and he might, and so might Joel. That might be why um, you're beginning to hear this mm, a little bit more. All right, as always, challenging question. Albert, I appreciate that. You always give um, really good questions. I wanna look here as I'm making my way through to see whether or not Keith was able to find out if 
the name for Jesus in the Greek is the same as Zeus. Don't think it is, by the way. Could be wrong, but we'll find out. Um, so our next question comes from Jari. Jari, good to see you. Jari says, is it, is it dangerous to call out false teachers? Someone told me that it's dangerous ground because it, they might be saved and God is still using them regardless of teaching. Also, Russia, UK, World War III. Yeah, um, we wanna pray for the Ukraine. Such war, such a horrible, horrible thing. And the gratuitous violence of war just breaks my heart. There have been pictures from the Vietnam War, the Korean War, and World War II that haunt me, ones I wish I would have never have seen. And, and I have a picture now of Ukraine that will haunt me. And um, I'm heartbroken over what's going on there. And I pray that they somehow stop this invasion. And I've been praying for that and praying for these poor people that are being taken, millions of refugees that are being taken out of their homes. And um, I think that Zelensky, President Zelensky of Ukraine is incredibly brave to stay in the land. I don't know how many people would do that. So um, I don't know, World War III, I guess, I don't know. It's very much like World War II started. Very, so I don't know, be, be praying that if this is the end of the world, Jesus comes back, be praying for people to learn and to know who Christ is and be vigilant in sharing your faith. One of the best ways to share your faith is, I was saved by someone asking me a question. They said, Robert, are you going to heaven? I said, yeah, I'm going to heaven and responded from there. That was just a question that did that. And so um, ask people, do you believe in an afterlife? Do you believe in God? Begin to talk to them. Um, now, is it dangerous to call out false teachers? Um, I don't do it very often. There are certain ones that I do, but I don't do it very often because I don't know their hearts. What I do know is that they are teaching false doctrine. So I will say this person's teaching false doctrine. Once we get more on what the heart of an individual is like, then we can learn that they could be a false teacher. And think about it, a, a false teacher could even teach mostly true stuff because he could be a false teacher. He's not really called to be a teacher by God. And then false teachers get all kinds of things wrong. And so there's all kinds of difficulties and all kinds of problems that arise from false teachers. And so, but I'm very careful. I, I have no problem calling out something that's not biblical as being a false teaching. But it's gotta be really serious and there has to be some evidence to me that a person is actually a false teacher before I'll call them out to be a false teacher. Um, ministries that focus on the false things that people say can sometimes get carried away. I heard uh, discernment ministries are called DM ministries. And um, I heard Alan Parr, who does videos on YouTube, uh, The Beat is what it's called, say when he was talking about five things to stay away from, Deliverance Ministries was one of them. I don't know if I agree with that 100%. I, I think that Deliverance Ministries can very easily, they very easily start criticizing or write people off by because they've been with somebody. So for example, a lot of people don't like Rick Warren. 
I've heard Rick Warren say a lot of good things and I'm not quite sure what all the issues are that people have with Rick Warren. But he was at a Harvest Crusade with Pastor Chuck Smith from Calvary Chapel, the founder of Calvary Chapel. And Pastor Chuck went up and said, um, I want to introduce to you my friend, Rick Warren. And the DM Ministries went off the charts on him. You know, guilt by association. He said he was his friend. Well, just let me ask what you want him to say. Do you want him to get up and say, I want to introduce to you someone I hate? Isn't love supposed to be where we're at? Just because someone teaches something significantly different than what you teach, does that mean they can't be your friends? So I, I think they often have guilt by association and I don't like that. I would rather look at what they say. And I think that these ministries have a place. I, I, I'm really glad that they're there because they point out heresies. They point out people that, that continue to teach heresies. Uh, I just think you've got to be really careful not to call someone who's a true teacher a false teacher. And that goes along with my your question here, Jari. All right, so I think we should be really, really careful. And I appreciate your question as always. Uh, I have, we have a question here from John P. And John says, uh, hi, hi, John. Pastor Robert, In I am in 1 Samuel 5 and 6. What is the Lord trying to teach us through the punishment of the Philistines and what are the golden tumors? May God continue to bless you. Well, thank you for that question, um, John. So in 1 Samuel 5 and 6, um, I would like to kind of go there really quick and just double check and make sure. I, I, the gold, if you're talking about the, the um, golden tumors, then you're, you're talking about the account that I, I think you're talking about. I just want to go back and make sure that that's what it is. Yeah. Okay. So the Philistines have captured the ark. They send it off. Eli sends it off to war. And when he hears that it's captured, he, he's a big man. He's large, uh, overweight. He falls off of his you know bench backwards, breaks his neck and dies. The Philistines take it to Dagon's temple and they put it in there like our, our God has triumphed over your God and when they get up in the morning Dagon has fallen on the ground and they set their statue back up again and if I'm remembering this correct they bring it back in again and the next day his head and hands have fallen off Dagon's head and hands have fallen off before the ark of God and the people of the town get sick with what some versions call tumors and other verses call hemorrhoids and that and rats, right? And so they make golden rats and golden tumors or golden hemorrhoids and put them inside of the ark, put it on a, I'm trying to see what uh, the New King James says here, and put it on a cart and two cows that have never pulled a cart before and send it back to the nation of Israel. When they see it coming, uh, they take it to, I think it's Obed-Edom's house, and uh, he takes, uh, Obed-Edom takes it into his home and he's blessed. Later on, David wants to bring it into the temple. He puts it on a cart like the Philistines did and that's when Yuza touches it and dies and David gets upset because God kills them when they're just trying to bring the Ark of the Covenant back in. So the tumors 
it looks like uh, if you, yeah, it looks like they're hemorrhoids. It looks like God gave them hemorrhoids, which to me kind of shows a sense of humor. And what was the Lord trying to teach them? That Yahweh is the only one true God. And that if there is anything going on with Dagon, which was the fish-headed God of the Philistines, then it was demonic. It was something demonic behind it. If there was anything um, that was going on behind it. And uh, it's a great, it's a great account of how God brings the Ark of the Covenant, which where God's glory would be, which is the mercy seat where the bread, blood would be spread out of the hands of the Philistines and brought it back home again. And I think that this is really important. I think this is really powerful that um, the Ark of the Covenant represents his presence and God brought it back into Israel. Later on, the presence of God will leave and the Ark of the Covenant will vanish and we don't know where it is today, a la um, Indiana Jones and the Lost Ark, right? So thank you, John, for your question. I appreciate that. Again, as always, uh, good stuff. All right, so we have a question here from Chelsea. Can I still be a Christian if I believe LGBTQ rights? I'm new to finding Christ, but there are some teachings, marriage in the Old Testament, one man, one woman. What is my heart? Well, what if um, that in my heart, I can't truly believe? Well, Chelsea, I would say that, well, there's a passage in the Bible that says, uh, there is a way that seems right unto a man, and the end thereof is death. That's sad, right? That's people that think that they're right, but it's not right. And the Word of God is our authority. And so we want to make sure that we are looking at what the Word of God says. Um, something about, you know, the LGBTQ plus community. Um, the Bible condones the act of homosexuality. Uh, the, Bible, the Bible condemns the act of homosexuality, but also condemns the act of, of fornication or sex before marriage or sex outside of marriage. And even when the Bible says this is an abomination, the act is not the person. And I think this is really important to understand. But you've got to go back and take the Word of God for what the Word of God says, and you can't pick and choose. And this is a decision, Chelsea, that you have to make. As a believer, are you going to be conformed by the culture around you or are you going to be transformed by the renewing of your mind? All right? And um, that doesn't mean that we don't have love for, for them. It doesn't mean that we can't reach out to them. Uh, but it does mean that we believe what the Word of God says over where man goes. Who knows where culture will go and the kind of things that culture will say, okay, culture says all kinds of things are okay. Uh, that getting drunk is okay when the Bible says not to be drunk with wine. Uh, there are all kinds of things that go along those lines. All right, so thank you, Chelsea. I hope um, that you really get that. Uh, the Word of God is our ultimate authority. I began this study by sharing with you uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, which says we are thoroughly equipped, lacking in nothing. And we are transformed when we renew our mind. And we renew our mind when we put it on the things of the Spirit and we put it into the Word of God. When Eve was tempted, she misrepresented God's Word and fell into the sin. When Jesus was tempted, 
he rightly divided the word of God and did not fall into sin. All right, so thank you very much for your question. I really do appreciate that. Um, Annika has a question here. Annika, thank you for joining us. Good to see you. Annika says, when praying through something, how do you avoid boring or repetitive? All right, so we do know that the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much, right? And so we wanna be effective, which means we wanna have things right with God. We wanna have things right with people. Uh, the Bible says, if you're going to pray and you remember that, that you have something against someone, forgive them and then say your prayers. So you wanna make sure it's right. And then fervent, where you pray fervently for something. And if you are praying for something you really care about, uh, I, I don't find that I find myself being bored if I really care about it. If it's something that I just want, well, I don't know, if I really want it more, maybe I'll be fervent until I get an answer. And remember, yes is an answer, no is an answer, and wait is an answer. And so maybe, you know, I just need to continue to pray because Jesus told us to be, to, to be persistent in our prayers. But it seems like Paul got an answer when he prayed about the thorn in his flesh. He prayed three times that it would be removed. And this was an infirmity, it tells us in Galatians. At least, I think those passages are connected. And um, he says, God told him, my grace is sufficient for you, which didn't mean God was saying, you've already got what you need to be healed, just claim it now. That wasn't saying that, that's a false teaching. He was saying, I've given you the grace to be able to live with the things that you're going through now. So he got an answer and didn't keep praying for it. So pray until you get an answer. And how I, I would avoid boring prayers is to really care about what you're asking. And I, I don't think that's real hard, Annika, when you really care about it. When you go, this is what I really want. This is what I really hope that God will do. Um, when you're praying for family and friends, it's very easy to pray with a great amount of passion on, on, on those kind of things. If, um, if I'm, if, if I'm in need financially, it's really easy for me to pray also with fervency uh, and, and, um, and to continue to pray uh, for it. So uh, hopefully that's helpful, Annika, is to really think about what you're praying for. Don't just go through the motions, really think about it. Uh, if you were asking someone for something they could give you, and you haven't gotten a no from them, and you ask them again and again and again, I would take it that you would be pleading that you would have some fervency behind it. And what a great promise. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. Our prayers accomplish much. And if we can really believe that, if we can really look at it, it can be so incredibly powerful for each one of us um, as we call out upon the name of God and really look for him to work and do all kinds of things in our lives and in our hearts. All right. Uh, so um, let me see. I've got a couple of things here that I want to do. I've got 
it looks like we've got uh, information here about the name of Zeus being the same as Jesus. Um, I'm going to take it this either comes from Daniel or from Keith, who are our two mods that are here. By the way, thank you guys for being here. Um, there is a widespread claim on the internet that the name Jesus means literally, Hail Zeus. This claim is frequently promoted by mythicists, people who believe that there was no historical Jesus and that Jesus was invented based on earlier pagan deities. But linking Jesus' name to Zeus, they hope to prove that Jesus is a made-up based on Zeus. So if I'm understanding right here, and maybe again if this is Daniel or if this is Keith, um, and maybe you just kind of brought in some information. Um, if you could give us a confirmation of what you found is that it's false. I think that by this, if it's a mythicist. So um, there's a consensus among, among scholars that Jesus was a very real person. A consensus takes more than 90% of scholars. And I'm not saying that there are no mythicists, but very few because it's so evident that Jesus was a real historical person. And um, if they're using this as a way to try to uh, put out false information, then we shouldn't be worried about it at all. So if you could find a little bit more information on that, whoever the mod is that put that up, probably maybe Daniel or, or Keith, either one, and just give me uh, this is true or this is false um, based on what you're finding then I would appreciate that. But I'm going to give a pretty strong that it's false. Um, and we got to be careful. Remember, we got to be careful with what we read. I'll bring this in in a minute. We got to be careful with what we read on the internet and even listening to YouTube channels. Oftentimes, I see something that's interesting to me on YouTube. I'll click on it and then I'll start to watch it. And uh, all of a sudden, it dawns on me. Something that's not right. And I'll see the name of the ministry underneath it. It's like, you know, something living, something ministries. So I'll look it up. Who has this ministry? And I'll find out that it is, you know, um, Christian Science or some some other group. And um, so you got to be careful when you're looking at to find out who it is. You've got to cross-reference it. You've got to look for the truth. It takes a little bit of diligence and sometimes it takes a little bit of, um, you'll get better at it in, in really making sure that you're able to confirm that what you're finding on the internet is true or false. But you got to be careful in doing that. And it sort of sounds like this statement that Jesus' name, Zeus's name, is false. Um, so Adam P. says, can you touch on Melchizedek? Book of Hebrews says, he blessed Abraham and that the one who blessed is greater than the one blessed. Psalms 110.4. In another reference to him, thank you. Yeah, Melchizedek is an interesting character because Abraham shows up. He's coming back from rescuing Lot in the, the battle against the five kings who attacked Sodom and took the loot and people and Lot. And, and, and Abraham took his men, divided it strategically, went and won the battle, brought back the, the riches that were taken from Sodom and brought back the people. The king of Sodom meets him. I think it's in the Valley of the Kings. And then it, there's this passage that says Melchizedek meets him. And Melchizedek brings bread and wine. Sound familiar? Bread and wine. And then Abraham gives him a tenth. And then he goes on to meet with the king of Sodom, gives him everything back. Doesn't want anything from him so that the king of Sodom won't be able to, to tell him that he is rich. 
in the book of Hebrews, we're told that Melchizedek did not have a genealogy, did not have a mother or a father or the end of days. And then Jesus, later on in, in Hebrews, is said that he is a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. You had to be a Levite to be a high priest according to the law. Now you have a high priest that is from Judah. How can the high priest be from Judah? Because he's from the order of Melchizedek. And so some believe that this is part of the complexity of God in the Old Testament. That because he doesn't have beginning of days or end of days, this is Jesus. Jesus shows up bringing bread and wine as a type or a foreshadowing of him making the new covenant with us by communion. Take this cup of the new covenant, he said. And in that way, he is like Melchizedek. Others say, it's not that he didn't have father and mother, it's just that we don't know who his father and mother is. I find, I'll tell you how I lean. There's certain things that I'm not, there's certain passages I don't get really dogmatic about. The Melchizedek passage is one of them. I lean towards it being Jesus because there are other people in the Bible that we don't have their mother and father in that recorded. And it doesn't say of them they're without genealogy or without mother and father. But of Melchizedek, it says, doesn't say anything in the Old Testament, he just shows up. He's the king of Salem, which is peace, is Jerusalem. And so he's a high priest in Jerusalem. And um, as I said, there's no other, there's other people that don't have their, their lineages mentioned and nothing ever, we, we can't assume that that's what's being said about everybody else. But it's said that specifically about Melchizedek. So I lean towards this being a Christophany, an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. Um, as I said, I'm not real dogmatic about it. I, I, I'm not trying to convince anybody. I'm rarely trying to convince anybody if I don't have solid truth in the scriptures. And um, so I'm not trying to convince anybody. I'm just saying that's the way that I lean. And I think the study of Melchizedek is a fascinating study. And if you're looking for something uh, that would, that you could really look at and that could challenge you, then the study of Melchizedek could be one of them. And um, hey, there, there might be some things there that people really haven't discovered yet that could be really, really neat. Um, so um, really dive into it. But that is what I, um, have found. Um, so I want to bring in, um, so Keith who's one of our moderators, um, has another statement about, uh, this whole Zeus thing. Um, there is widespread claim, by the way, if you've just joined us, we had a question earlier about the name Jesus in the Greek being the same as Zeus. And so I asked our moderators to see if they could figure out whether or not it was true. Um, this is a widespread claim on the internet. The name of Jesus literally means hail Zeus. The claim is frequently promoted by mythicists, people who believe in the historical Jesus, right? Which was the same information that we had before. Um, uh, let me bring in this one too, the same one by Keith. Um, and that Jesus was invited based on the earlier pagan deities being linked to Jesus's name to Zeus. They hope to prove, all right, so that's what we, what we read earlier as well. All right, so yeah, I'm gonna say it's false. I'm pretty pretty confident that the name Jesus does not mean Zeus, all right? So we have, uh, we have uh, Kay is gonna, uh, has a question for us. Kay joins us from YouTube. Okay, good to see you. Kay says, how do we help someone with OCD? Intrusive, repetitive thoughts, even though he knows the thoughts are not his. 
get past the fears of every possible Christian issue? Is it common? Um, I don't know how common OCD is, but I understand it. And there are different, this is a mental health issue and there are different ways that it manifests itself in people's lives. You've got the, everything has to be straightened out way. And I always tease that I, that I have OCD to some degree, because when I stand at the pulpit and who's ever setting up the communion, they put the trays out and they make one not even with it. And it's not the one in the middle. And for me, I look out, I want to go down from the pulpit, take the one over, put it on this, I put it in the middle and make them so they look somewhat symmetrical. Um, but uh, someone with OCD can get this idea in the mind, their mind that the stove is turned on and it's so repetitive, even though they've gotten up and checked it, they've got to check it again. They could have intrusive thoughts, like you said, that could be they want to hurt someone. Then they're, they're horrified at this because it's not who they are and it continues to go on. It could be ritualistic. That is that someone would get would, would do something and then have to say this certain statement before they can go on. And so that's ritualistic, OCD. Um, st- several kinds of therapy have been proven to work really well. There are, um, there are certain drugs, a psychiatrist can help someone that can give them drugs that can help them significantly with it. I'm not one of those pastors that believes that I believe that God gave us the drugs that are in the world to help when there are problems and the mind is like any other organ. It can have health issues and there are certain drugs that can help someone to be able to handle OCD. And if that's you, don't let a pastor tell you to throw out your pills and to not take it anymore. You may know if you're, if you have this or another mental health issue that when you get off of it immediately, in fact, you have to get off these things slow. You have to do it at a, by doctor's direction and you have to do it by a doc, you know, doctor telling you and supervising you getting off of these things because otherwise it's very difficult. There is some therapy that has been successful where they, they make someone kind of go through what they're, what's happening with them. Don't allow them to say the ritual or um, don't allow them to go check the stove after they know that the stove is off. And this takes a lot of work and it's lengthy, but it has had some success. And okay, you can go and you can check these things out. Uh, There are a lot of studies on OCD uh, that can be, that can can reveal to you the help here. how do you help someone with OCD? Love them. Understand them. Don't get annoyed at them, you know, con- continuing to struggle with whatever it is, whatever type of OCD they have and whatever they're struggling with. And pray for them. Pray that God would rescue them. Pray fervently for them, that God would help them with this. Um, if God speaks to you to help to that they would try to let them get help, send them in the direction of a psychologist who will maybe send them to a psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist will be able to get them some drugs, um, whatever kind that they would prescribe to them 
that may help them out. They usually have to tweak these drugs as well. Doesn't the first one might not really help completely and they have to kind of tweak them to be able to get someone help. I think it's a really easy thing to condemn someone or to say that anything that mental health related is of the devil. And I think that the devil is is very, he'll take advantage of someone that has a mental health issue. He will take advantage of them. And I think the devil is really, you know, and he does that a lot. So thank you for your question, Kay. And um, I hope that whoever it is that you know that's struggling with OCD, that you are able to help them by really being there and, and being in friendship with them. You need to be long suffering. You need to be patient uh, because it, sometimes it's easier to separate yourself than it is to, to be there for that person. But being for, there for that person can be, ex, can be extremely helpful to them. All right, thank you. I appreciate uh, I appreciate your question, Kay, and, th and thank you for being here. I think this is the first time um, that you've joined us. Uh, good to have you here. Uh, if you have a question, if you're joining us for the first time, you have a question, write the word question before your question or cue, and then write out your question, read it a couple of times, make sure that it makes sense, and then go ahead and submit your question. All right. Um, all right, so we have a follow-up with Albert here on the question of, of how, what Skip Heidzik said about um, the Mahdi being the Antichrist. He said, Pastor Heidzik just proposed that he may be Muslim. He shared that much of the old Roman Empire is now Islamic land, and that makes sense. Thank you for replying to my question, Pastor Robert. God bless you. Thank you, Albert, uh, for that clarification. Uh, that's really good. Um, and. Yeah, that's my understanding as well. And I would say that I wouldn't rule out that someone would be Muslim, um, but I would have some questions about how the Antichrist is developed and how that could end up being the case. All right, so thank you uh, very much for your follow-up question to that. I know I had asked you that uh, when we were looking at these things, all right? So um, we have another question here. And Kay, uh, we, we, we generally take one question until we get to the end and we come back to it. Um, uh, is this a follow-up? Yeah, I think it's a follow-up. You know what, I take follow-up questions. So let me bring this in here, Kay. Um, my son is stuck on what happened to his cat when, it, when, uh, when we are taken are all the animals at the mercy of the Antichrist devastation? How do we answer such questions to a young believer? Okay, well, this is a new question. I'll just go ahead and answer it, okay? All right, I thought you were uh, following up on the um, OCD question. Well, you, I don't think you asked the OCD question. Maybe you did, I'm, I'm lost. Uh, um, so I, I understand that. Um, we love our pets and whether or not our pets will be in heaven with us. There are animals in heaven, which is really interesting. I, I, I something I've discovered, something I've noticed, is that pastors that have pets have a tendency to say that pets will be in heaven, and pastors who don't have pets have a tendency to say they're not gonna be in heaven. And I think that's, that's maybe really telling about just the way we look at the world. We look at the world through our own lenses a lot of times. So, um, yeah, I don't think pets are going to go in the rapture. And I, I think I would just 
lovingly say, we don't know when it's going to be. We don't know if it's going to be close. And if it is, um, you can pray for your cat now uh, that they'll be okay when the rapture happens. And I'm not using prayer flippantly or just prayer to calm their heart. God answers prayer. And this a child cares very much about their animal. And so I would encourage your son to pray for the cat and to pray for the return of Jesus and then to believe that the cat will be okay uh, when it comes to the return of Christ. So thank you very much, Kay, for your question again. I hope that that is helpful to you. Uh, we have another question here from Light Skin Patriot, which says, uh, question, hello, Pastor. If you are truly at in the end times, if we are truly at the end times, which it feels like it, and it certainly does, when do you recommend born-again Christians should focus on more moving forward sanctification evangelism? Um, I think that that time has already passed. Paul said, redeem the time for the end is at hand. This is back when Paul was writing in the first century. And so we should redeem the time, all the more as that day draws closer. It's interesting, in Matthew 24, it says, when you see all of these things happen, look up. So Jesus said, you're gonna hear of wars and rumors of wars, but don't let these things disturb you. The end is not yet. Then he goes on to say, these are birth pains and birth pains get more and more frequent. And when you see them all happening, look up, your redemption draws nigh. Now that's after the second coming of Christ. So we could be talking about you know, it could be just, just everything that he's talked about before, prior, coming to pass. I think all of those things that are signed for the last days when they come to pass. But I would be, I am praying for my friends who don't know Christ. I am looking for opportunities to be able to share with them. I want to let them know. I've shared with you before that I will often ask questions uh, to, to someone uh, to be able to share with them. I find that if I can ask them questions, they're less defensive, if that makes sense. Then if I come right out of the blue and, and say, you need to receive Jesus or you're gonna go to hell, uh, I find ways to talk with them and to, to, make, an in, to, uh, to make an interest and to uh, just go over different situations and circumstances with them. You can prayerfully seek them, pray for them, be involved in the harvest, bring them to church. Um, we try to give altar calls for various reasons. We try to give altar calls at every single service. This last Wednesday night, I went so long uh, talking about Philippians 4, 8, and 9, the things we think about and controlling our mind um, that I wasn't able, although I did give a pleading for them to go by our new believers table if they wanted to surrender their lives to Christ. But Almost every service, we have someone, at least one person will raise their hands, and sometimes many people who will raise their hands. So be praying for them now, really seeking God, and God is um, God moves when we pray. All right, so thank you very much for your question. I really do appreciate that. If you're joining us here for the very first time, really glad you guys are here. We hope that you are really blessed. We hope that God's moving in your life in a powerful way. Don't forget to pray for the Ukraine. Um, just tragic things taking place there now. All right, so um, if you have a question, 
then write the word question and then write out your question and um, reread it a couple times, make sure that it makes sense and then go ahead and submit it and we will take time uh, to get to them. All right, and um, our next question. Uh, thank you, Itza. I'm glad that this is a blessing to you guys. All right, so we have a question here. All right, so this is um, from Nathaniel. Nathaniel says, hey, Pastor, should I release an album talking about mental health, yes or no? Because I'm a little scared because of the outside world judging me. Um, so I don't know, Nathaniel, if I can tell you what release, you know, whether or not you should release an album on this. I can tell you how you should seek the will of God. Uh, and, and we know that we want to be in God's will. And we don't always know what God's will is. And so when I, when wondering whether or not I should do something, and I'm looking for direction as to whether or not I should do it, I will pray for God's direction. Asking him, do you want me? I'll make a prayerful decision. And I'll give it plenty of time to pray about it, to let it cook around in the oven for a while, to, to let God either give you confirmation for yes or no. And if, if none of that happens, then make a prayerful decision. You're listening to God. You're really wanting to know his direction. If you make the wrong decision, God's big enough to correct you. If it's something that, you know, it's a real mistake and God wants to correct you, he's big enough to come alongside of this and correct it so that you don't make a huge mistake. Um, I think there's a lot of mental health issues that are going on today and I think it could be helpful, but there's no way that I would be able to tell you whether or not you should do it. This is something you need to seek God about, but thank you for desiring to do what God wants you to do. And I think that God will use you as you reach out to really be strengthened and used by him. All right, so we have another question here uh, that I have pre-prepared. And uh, this is, what is the rapture of the church and when will it take place? Now, these come from previous Q and A's and um, there were two or three questions that were along these lines. And I wanted to make sure that I was able to cover, uh, put all of these questions together with what the rapture of the church is. So in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, behold, I tell you a mystery. He says, we're not all gonna sleep. And by sleep, he means die. But some of us will be changed in a moment and twinkling of an eye. And this corruption will put on incorruptible, um, this mortal will put on immortality, will be changed. We know from other passages, we will be like Jesus. And then 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 5, 4 tells us, 13 through 18, tells us that we will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and that the dead in Christ are going to rise first. And that word for caught up there is harpazo. In the Latin, that's ruptura. It's where we get the word rapture from. And so we, no wonder there's confusion about it because it's a mystery. That's what the Bible says. Behold, I tell you a mystery, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. So no wonder there's confusion. And I would say that we don't always have to have a complete and total understanding about what's taking, um, about what something that's taking place is. Um, but the Bible clearly teaches it. Um, when will it take place? 
Uh, this could be a couple of questions, right? It could be, when does it take place? Like, um, is it gonna take place in September? Is it gonna, uh, because people, many people believe the, the Feast of Trumpets, it's at the last trumpet. Uh, I don't think it's gonna be during September because the Bible says that it is at a time when we don't expect it. A lot of people are gonna be expecting it. And I could be wrong because I wouldn't be expecting it in September because of that. Um, the last trumpet, there's a lot of last trumpets. Trumpets were used to gather people together. Trumpets were used to sound warnings. And so this last trumpet could be the last trumpet of the age of the Gentiles, which is talked about in the Bible in a few places. Uh, it could be the last trumpet um, before Christ returns, a, a trumpet warning. It doesn't necessarily need to be the seventh trumpet of Revelation, or doesn't need to be that. I know people try to make it that. Does it need to be that? Does it need to be the last trumpet in the Feast of Trumpets that had trumpets that would blow during the Feast of Trumpets? Uh, so hopefully that is helpful. We have another question from JG. JG says, is it biblical to take out loans to go to Christian college and theological schools? Uh, that's a really good question. It's a challenging question. Um, school is really expensive, too expensive. Colleges are really expensive. And um, you, there's certainly cheaper ones and there's more expensive ones. And student loans have allowed schools to be able to raise their prices way beyond what they should, what they should have done. It just seems like when you look at the cost of a degree and how long it will take you to make that back. Uh, it's just, there's cheaper ways to do it now. There's cheaper ways to get a bachelor's, there's cheaper ways to get a master's degree. And so, um, I don't think it's unbiblical. I'm thinking, of, I'm thinking going into debt. The Bible says, oh, no one, anything but love. But that's, not necessarily talking about financial debt, right? Whatever you owe someone, give it to them. Give honor to whom honor is due. Uh, so there's a lot of things that could be talking about. I think with just wisdom and foolishness, you don't wanna be in a lot of debt. It's a foolish thing to do. And we, we almost all do it, all right? I did it at one point in my life. I was in way too much debt and um, had to get out of it. And it took a lot of work to get out of it. And I think it's good to try to be out of debt. Uh, there's also some wisdom in having your money in something that is appreciating. And if, if you can, I mean, you wanna be careful because whenever you're leveraging, and that's called leveraging, when you're putting money to work in order to make more money, whenever you're leveraging like that, you're using your money to get it into a place where it can make more money for you, there's risk in that, always. And so, you don't want to use money that is risky. And the younger you are, the more you can be risky. The older you are, the less you can. Um, so, unbiblical to take out loans. I don't, to go to Christian school, I don't think I'd go that far. I would say that you really want to be wise. Um, and I think the theology school, a Christian college, is all really good. Um, we have a school of ministry at the church, Reach College School of Ministry try to make it as affordable as we possibly can. So there are definitely places that make things more affordable, all right? 
So um, thank you very much, JG, for your question. It's been really good spending time with you guys. Uh, we have a service in two hours. Uh, we are going to be talking about the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Jesus, earlier in chapter 18 of Luke, taught, told us a parable that men ought to always pray and not lose heart. Well, he goes on another parable about prayer, genuine prayer and false prayer. And we, when we study the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee, um, it's really easy for us to go, I understand it. They were massively confused. It's like when Jesus said to them, uh, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And they were like, then, then who can be saved? Because they thought they were the most righteous people out there. They had no understanding about the atoning work of, of Christ on the cross, how much God loves sinners, how much he really wants to do for them and how he really interacts with them. And there's a lot of Pharisees today. And so we're going to be talking about how to avoid the ugly sin of self-righteousness and um, about the way that God feels about sinners. And we'll be doing that in two hours. So you can join us here if you're here in Tucson, East and West Campus, uh, but both campuses, one at 6.15, the other one at, one at 6 and the other at 7.15. East Campus is 6 o'clock, West is 7.15. So we have two services tonight. Um, and then six o'clock online, you can join us, calvarychapel.com, YouTube, Roco, um, Apple TV, um, all of those things, all right? So thank you guys for joining us. I really appreciate your questions. Hopefully they've been helpful. Um, and I hope you guys have a great week. Pray for Ukraine. I'm gonna go ahead and sign out. Love you guys. We will.